today, this morning, we're just going to get into the word. And I have a word that I want to share on my heart. And so we're going to be going out of the book of Luke. So if you want to start turning there, you can. The book of Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to begin. And like Pastor Alex said, I truly believe that together we can learn. And so if there's something that I say that encourages you, you can say, I like that. If there's something that you say that you really don't like, you can tap the person next to them and tell them that was for you. I might ask you, how are you doing? I want you to shout me down and say, good, great. If I'm asking, are you with me? We're with you. Does that sound okay? All right. So we're going to get started in Luke chapter 5, in verse 1. And it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He, sat, he saw that at the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put, put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will do so. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so filled that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And so now we're just going to take a couple of moments to kind of just unpack some of these verses, some of the things that I feel like God is speaking. And I know that this is one of those passages in scripture that sometimes we can hear a lot about, or we can hear uh, about how God has called us to be fishers of men. But today I just want to share something specific in regards to this that I feel that God really wants to say to us. And so we're going to pray and then we're going to begin. So why don't you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you so much that you are such a personal God, that you know every single thing and every single detail about our lives, and yet you still love us, you still care for us, you still choose to give us an abundant life and an abundant future, God. And so today, we just thank you, God, for who you are, for your goodness, for your grace, and we ask that you would be with us, that you would encourage us in this time, God, and that we would leave this place different than when, when we walked in, God. We love you, we thank you, God, we are looking forward to Thanksgiving, and the fact that we get to be thankful for everything that you have blessed us with, God. Let us never take for granted the things that you have so generously given to us, God. We love you and we honor you. And everybody says, amen. 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 Any foodies in the house? Foodies? So you're probably wondering what is a foodie? I mean, for me personally, my definition of a foodie is just someone who likes food. Yes? Anybody foodies in the house? I mean, I don't know about you, but I love food. I love going out to eat. I love trying different types of food. Um, I'm not scared. To, I'll try anything for the first time, one time, and then I'll find out if I can do it more than once. But for the most part, I love to go out to eat, and I love to try different types of food. But you know what the worst thing is about going out to eat or trying a new restaurant? 
is there's always someone that's going to tell you, you know, hey, I went to this restaurant. It was amazing. The service, the staff, the customer service, it was, it was exemplary. The food was amazing. The way that it tasted, the flavors. And so you get all excited about this restaurant. You get excited about going to eat there. You finally decide that you're going to go out with your spouse and you're going to try this amazing restaurant, this amazing food. You plan up for it. If it's a little bit more expensive, you save up for it. And then you get there and you go to the restaurant and you sit down and Everything looks great. And then you sit down and eat. And the food is not that great. I mean, is that the worst feeling or is that just me? So, so almost builds up this expectation of having extraordinary food. This food that is just going to make your mouth just savor. And then all of a sudden it's just like, eh, I could have gone to McDonald's and had better french fries. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I love food. And I love, I love this idea that Every time I go to a restaurant and, and it's amazing and it's great, I want to tell somebody about it. There's something that's special about it. And so I take the opportunity to tell somebody else, hey, if you like this kind of food, if you enjoy this type of food, then you need to go to this restaurant. Well, for me, it's the same with hotels. I love hotels. And maybe because I studied some hospitality management when I was in college. And so I love, I love everything about customer service. And I love everything about how everything has a specific place in a hotel. You see, last year, Diana and I got the privilege to go to London for a conference. And so we were there for a conference in London. It was the second time that I was there. And we stayed at this one hotel near the conference. And it was great. It was, it was kind of like a Marriott. You go to one Marriott. You've been to all Marriott's. They all look the same. Pretty ordinary. Pretty normal. But then right after conference, we got to go and stay at another hotel that was in downtown London. I mean, this hotel was incredible. I mean, it made the other hotel that we were staying at look like chump change. It was amazing. I mean, the smell. Do you know that most hotels have a distinctive smell so that you can return? That's how much they pay attention to detail. It was an extraordinary hotel. You know, and I think thinking about these hotels and thinking about food and thinking about how You don't want a bland experience when you go to a restaurant. And you don't want a normal experience when you go on a hotel. That's why you're going to a hotel. You actually want something better. You want something exciting. You want something extraordinary. And I think that us as Christians, we sometimes set to settle for an ordinary Christian life. You know, instead of having this life that is extraordinary, that is exciting, that is full, we settle for an ordinary Christian walk. And God has not called us to that. Actually, God has called us to something better. God has called us to live a life that is beyond than we can ever imagine. And so I don't know about you, but reading this verse and going through these chapters, I found something specific that I want to share. And you know, God desires for us to going from having an ordinary life to an extraordinary life. You know, I want to share with you the, the meaning of the word ordinary. And they're going to put it up on the screens. But it says, with no special or distinctive features. Some of the synonyms are normal, standard, typical, common, or regular. You know, I think it's, I think it's almost the opposite of who God is. If you look at this definition and you think, well, this, this, this idea of ordinary, that it has nothing special, that you don't remember anything about it. Well, that's not who God is at all. Actually, God is a God who is special, who is extravagant, who is always giving more than we can imagine. And so I love this idea that God is the opposite of ordinary. And so because he is the opposite of ordinary, he has called us to live an extraordinary life. You know, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, his love isn't controlled 
It's not like those fancy, those, uh, fancy restaurants that you go to. And so you go and you save up all your money. And then all of a sudden you get there and you're given a plate of food. And the plate of food is like this big. You see, you see, God is extravagant, but he isn't going to portion control his love to you. He's not going to portion control his forgiveness to you. He's not going to portion control his grace to you. Actually, it's in God's nature to constantly be overflowing in love and in forgiveness and in grace to you. And I love that about God. And so maybe you're here and you're sitting in this place and you're thinking, you know what, maybe I am a bit ordinary. Well, I want to tell you that God wants to take your ordinary life and make it an extraordinary life. He wants to take your, your ordinary marriage and make it an extraordinary marriage. He wants to take your despair and your pain and he wants to convert it into hope and life. He wants to take maybe that chaos that you've been feeling and he wants to give you peace. He wants to take that thing that maybe you have been dealing with because you just feel empty and he wants to give you a hope and a future and a life and so if that doesn't get you excited then I don't know what will but because God is an extraordinary God he has extraordinary children and that is our job that is our mandate that is our calling to be extraordinary children who live an extraordinary life and I want to uh, share this verse with you found in Matthew chapter 5 and I love what it says and they're going to put it on the screen that it says here's another way to put it you are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You see, I love that Diana shared it as an offering verse because it totally relates. You know, what we're doing with our lives is we're, we're being generous to others. We're being a light. God has called us to be the light and the salt of the earth. We are what's supposed to give flavor to this world. If not for us, then this world would be bland. This world would be normal. It would be just typical. It would just be standard. But because of the Christian walk, because of the love that we have found in Jesus, we are called to live an extraordinary life. You see, we are supposed to be that element, that thing that people are to remember. You know, people shouldn't walk away from having a conversation with us or having a meeting with us or sitting with us maybe for a session or whatever it is and not remember a single thing about us. Actually, every time that people leave a conversation, they should remember something. Wow, she was the most genuine person I ever met. Actually, he was the most generous that I've ever seen. You know what? He had a smile on his face from the moment that I met until the moment that he, regardless of the situation he was going through. God has called us to be the light bearers, to shine the light of Jesus in this world. And so if we are too busy with maybe just focused on our situation and not allowing God's light to shine through us, then we'll never be that extraordinary element that he's called us to. And so God is calling us to that. And it's our responsibility to grab a hold of that, to believe it, to live it out on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't mean that we're not allowed a, a bad day or a poor day or to have a, you know, a bad morning or have a rough week. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that throughout our week, there has to be that hope of Jesus. There has to be that extraordinary light that shines out of us. Amen? Amen. You see, we can't waste, we can't waste the extraordinary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for an ordinary life. We can't waste, I'm going to say it again, we can't waste the extraordinary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for an ordinary life. 
He didn't come and give an ordinary love to us. So we can't give an ordinary life back to him. You know, in this book of Luke, as we were reading, it says that before, uh, before chapter 5 and chapter 4, Jesus has gone around and he's been preaching the gospel. He's been healing. He's been preaching to multiple people. He's walking around all of Judea just preaching the gospel and seeing many lives turn and changed. But now he's all of a sudden right now by the Sea of Galilee. And he's there and he's about to preach when all of a sudden this crowd of people begin to follow him. And so they're following him and they're walking beside him. And, the, and it says that the crowd becomes so great that people become aggressive. Is that who we are? Do we get so excited about the things of God that we are willing to maybe push someone out of the way a little bit because we want to be closer? Or do we just always fight to sit in the back? You know, God wants us to be the, the, the people in the front lines. We're not supposed to be in the back. We're not supposed to be specters. We're supposed to be participators. You know, and that's what was happening in this moment. People were crowding around Jesus. They were crowding so much so that he couldn't even get in a word. Commentaries say that he was almost stuck. People could not see him. People could not hear him. There was so much commotion around people gathering around Jesus. Is there commotion around us? Is there people who are excited to hear what we have to say about God? Are people excited to be, hear about this hope that we live out? Or they just don't want to hear anything because all we have is noise. You know, Pastor Alex preached about that noise last week. And I find it that even ourselves, if we're in our comfort, we can be that noise. We can be the noise in other Christians' ears. And so it's on us to be that light. It's on us to be that, uh, that good voice, that hope. And so Simon now, Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee, and he sees that there's two fishermen on the side. And it says that Jesus saw them from far off. So he knew that they, were, they had just finished fishing. They were cleaning their boats. And all of a sudden, they're coming near land. And they're washing their nets. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Simon, and, and Simon Peter and Andrew, who's, who he was with, was probably kind of disappointed. They had spent the entire night fishing, not had caught a thing You know, I don't know the first thing about fishing, and I'm not going to pretend to be uh, an expert on the matter, but I'm sure that it takes a lot of work to pull out a fit, to pull out your boat, to go out there, to line the fish, and to do all that kind of stuff, to then do it over and over and over and over all night and come back with nothing. You see, Jesus, <laughs> he said it stinks. You see, Jesus, Jesus saw them from far off, and Jesus said, hey, can I, he went to them and he said, can I use your boat? And they said, sure. And so they pulled out from the shore so that Jesus could preach to the crowd, to the multitude from the boat. It says that he sat down. So he was in a posture of sitting. He was in a posture of rest. Regardless of the chaos that's happening around us in our world, God is still our peace and God is still our rest. And so I don't know about you, but even when there is commotion and there is maybe something that's happening in your life that you don't feel like you can control, God is your peace and God is your rest. And it says that he was sitting. It says that he was resting. And as he was resting, he begins to speak the word. But once he's finished and once the crowd begins to disappear, he tells Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and he says, lower your nets. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine Simon, Peter, and, and Andrew's faces. What is he talking about? What do you mean lower your nets? We've just finished fishing the entire night. We've caught nothing. They were probably so kind of dissatisfied with what Jesus was saying. They were probably thinking, what does he know about fishing? He's a carpenter. 
But isn't that how we kind of label God sometimes? That we think, oh God, you don't know what you're doing. And actually, I've been doing this all this time, so you don't know anything. You know, I think that we, we label our circumstances on God when God is a big God and God has only showed us that he is an extravagant, loving, forgiving, restoring God. But yet we choose to put our labels of our frustration on God. And so all of a sudden he says, he says, lower your nets. And they're probably thinking, this guy is crazy. But okay, in verse five, it says, Simon answered, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will lay down the nets. And so even though they probably doubted God, and they probably were like, this guy is crazy. He has no idea what he's talking about. It says that they did. And the first point that I want to share with you is, don't let an empty net push you to quit. You know, our lives can be filled with empty nets. Our lives can be filled with things that we feel like we have tried to do over and over and over again. But still, he says, don't quit. You know, although they were tired from fishing all night long, they still decided to throw in their nets. You know, difficulty is going to come our way every single day. Life circumstances are going to come our way every single day. But it's on us where we, either we decide to continue and to persevere or we decide to quit. And I love that we all have different empty nets. Maybe for you, your empty net is an addiction. Maybe it's something that you've been struggling with over years. And it's something that you feel like you keep investing to, but you keep coming up with that empty net. Well, God has not forsaken you and God has not left you alone and God is still with you. And he's going to work out that empty net for you. And so maybe, maybe your empty net is your marriage and you feel like the fighting is never going to quit. You feel like the counseling is never going to help. And so you feel like I'm alone here. Well, God says, keep bringing down your empty net. I will fill your empty net. You know, maybe for you, it's a family member that you've been praying for for years. And so you feel like I've prayed for them for, for months, for years, maybe even decades, and they still haven't come to know God or they're far away from God. And all we desire is for them to come close. Well, God says, I haven't not forgotten your, your prayers. I've heard every single one of them. And so God will fill that net when the time is right. Maybe your, your empty net is your business and you feel like you've invested all this money into this specific thing and you feel like you've worked so hard and you've done things the right way. But for some reason, it still hasn't panned out the way that you thought. Well, God says, continue to give me that empty net. Do not quit. Persevere. Trust me. I will do the work. And maybe for you, it's ministry. Maybe you've been serving in church since you're a small child. Maybe you've been in the journey for a long time and now you're older and mature. God says, don't give up. Continue to persevere. I will be with you all the days of your life. Don't quit. Keep bringing down your nets. You know, I love that about Simon, Peter, and Andrew, that they continue to let down their net, even though they maybe kind of doubted God. It just speaks of who God is that we do that. But you know what else speaks of? It speaks that we cannot quit the calling that God has placed on our lives. We can't quit just because we feel like we haven't received that thing which God has, was supposed to give us. We're not supposed to quit just because we feel like we haven't measured up or done what we were supposed to. No, we're supposed to continue to give our nets to God. You know what else is crazy? That those nets, 
Those nets that he's going to fill, if we would just continue to give it to them, he would fill them in his time. But we're not called to quit. We're not called to give up. We're not called to decide that we have better plans or other plans. No, actually, God is working them out because he says he will. It says that in verse 5, it says, because you say so. Because God says so. That's why they drop their nets. And so that's my second point. Is obedience speaks of us. But miracles, they speak of the extravagant power of God. You know, in Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You know, so many times we take this verse and we think, Oh, God is working things out because I love him. God is working things out because I love him. God is working things out because I love him. Yeah, that's great, but that's only half part of the verse. God is saying, I will work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, we can't expect to be extraordinary Christians and live this extraordinary lives if our lives are not aligned to his. Yes, we could love God, but if our lives aren't aligned, then then the, the good things will not be worked out. We need to trust God with this. And so again, the second point that I wanted to bring is obedience speaks of us, but miracles, they speak of God's extravagant power. You know, obedience speaks of yielding to authority. So basically what that means is that you can't obey something that you don't believe is your authority. You can't obey God if you don't believe God is your authority. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the fact how, you know, dogs obey their owners. They obey their masters. Anybody here ever watched The Dog Whisperer? That Caesar guy. He's incredible. He's this guy on television and he basically gives all these different, I mean, the dogs do whatever it is that they ask. Not my dog. My dog doesn't listen to what I have to say. My dog kind of does what he wants. Maybe I should take some classes from Caesar, but, but the dog always listens to their owner. Dogs always listen to their owner. They listen to who they know is their authority. And in the same way, children, little children, always listen to their parents because they know that they are their authority. In the same way that children listen to their parents, employees listen to their bosses because they are their authority. And in the same way, sheep. The sheep of a pasture listen to their pastor. And in the same way in this church, we listen to our authority. We listen to our pastors. We listen to God who is our pastor because he is our authority. But I'll tell you from now, if you think that obeying God is easy, but you don't consider him your authority, then it's not going to come out naturally. It's not going to come out naturally. Why? Because if he isn't your authority, then he isn't, you can't obey him. And so I love that God does this huge miracle he does this huge miracle, and he's not afraid of the miracle. But, the, but, but James and Andrew and John and Simon Peter are. And it says that they were afraid, that they couldn't believe it. You know what else I find rather strange? That we have all the excuses to live an ordinary life. We have all the excuses. We're too busy. We have too many things on our plates. The timing is not right. I never feel prepared enough. But you know what? Let me, let me take some pressure off. The timing is never going to be right, but God's timing is always right. You know, you're never going to feel 100% prepared every single time, but God will prepare you and God will equip you. And you know what? We always add things to our lives because we'll always want something more. But the crazy thing about this is that Jesus could have done this miracle 
And he didn't necessarily need them to bring down their nets. You know, God doesn't need you necessarily to bring down your net, but he wants you to. You see, God could have made the, the fish jump on the boat. It's that simple. Just jump on the boat. That's all he needed to do. But he wanted them to lower their nets. He brought, God brought manna from heaven. Food was coming down out of the skies. Do you think he couldn't have just made some fish land on a boat? It says so much so that the boat was filled. One of the boats was completely filled and it was beginning to sink. So they had to call their friends to bring another boat so that they could fill that one as well. And even still, that wasn't enough to contain the extravagant miracle that God had. But I love what it says in verse 9 and 10. It says, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. I can't imagine their faces. You know, sometimes when I read scripture, I think about the story. I put myself in the story. And I think about these fishermen who probably for years had been fishing out on that, on that lake. And for years, they have never seen that type of a catch. They had never seen that many fish. They had never believed that it was that possible. But you know, with God, all things are possible. And you know what's even crazier? Is that when we allow God to do his part, he does his part. Instead of being a roadblock in the way, God always does his part. You know, he takes an ordinary life, like the life of Simon Peter, and he translates it into an extraordinary life. He does a miracle where maybe no one thought a miracle was possible. And so regardless of his excuses, because he was tired, and because they had been out all night, God even uses that to perform a miracle. So if we would, if we would take our ordinary lives, we would take our brokenness, our despair, our feeling of inadequacy, and we would say, God, here, take it. Then God would do the extraordinary. God would do the rare. God would do the unique. God would do the uncommon. But the extraordinary part of this story is the fact that Jesus allows the net to come down, and he uses the hands of Simon, Peter, and Andrew to catch the fish. He lets you have the miracle because he uses your hands to do it. He does the miracle. Jesus did the miracle in this sense. Jesus said, bring down the nets. And so they did. But who was carrying the miracle? Peter and Andrew. John and James. You see, God wants you to carry the miracle. But we have to be willing instruments to allow him to do that. If we're not willing to be the instruments, then he'll just do what he's done before. The miracle will come out of the sky. The miracle will come out of somebody else's hands. You know, I think about the miracle where Jesus uh, multiplies the bread and the fish. It says that Jesus blessed it, and then he gave it to his disciples. And he told them to pass it out. And it was there that the miracle was done. It wasn't so much that Jesus blessed, and all of a sudden it was everywhere and it multiplied. It was in the handing out of the disciples that the miracle was made. And so God wants to take your life and the, and the bits and the crumbs and the things that you feel like are inadequate are not enough. And God wants to say, I want to take it and make it greater. You know, I, if I know one thing about God is that you can't diminish the thing that he has done in your life. Why? Because you have lived your life. Because you've seen how far he's brought you. You can't say God hasn't done this miracle in my life when I've seen the miracle in my life. 
I think about when we first started this campus in downtown Miami. You know, we started with a connect group. It was one connect group. It was, I think, 12 people. And we would meet every week. And we would just talk and dream and pray about the things that God could do. And then, and then all of a sudden, we were six connect groups with 60 people. And we kept multiplying. And I don't know exactly how it happened. I can't tell you what the recipe for success was. But all I know is that months later, we're standing in an auditorium with 300 people and they're worshiping Jesus. And so God takes an ordinary connect group. He takes your ordinary life and he says, I want to do more. And I remember standing at First Presbyterian the first time we had service there. And I remember thinking, I can't even close my eyes in worship because I can't miss this. I can't forget this. You see, you can't forget the miracles that God has done in your life. But God wants to continue to do them. But unless we continue to say, I'm done with this ordinary life, God cannot do the extraordinary in us. But it gets even better. You know, I love Peter. He's actually become one of my favorite characters in the, in the scriptures. And so God knows that we're not perfect. And he knew that Peter wasn't perfect either. And he knew that he didn't have it all together. And actually, Peter has come a long way. Because we see him later on in Acts chapter 2. And he's doing this incredible, amazing thing. But before that, Peter was an unsuccessful fisherman. He never caught the fish. But Jesus caught him for him. He was doubtful of Jesus. He left everything and he followed Jesus. He saw hundreds of miracles performed by God. But then he denied him three times. You see, the truth and the matter of the reality is, is that there's going to be times where we might have setbacks. And there may be times where we forget. And there may be times where we feel like, you know what, I don't have it all together. But it says that after he denied Jesus three times, he told, he told Jesus he loved him three times. You see, God always has an open hand extended to you. And God is never going to reject you. But then we see Peter in Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden, he's teaching a crowd. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41, and it says, With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So months later, now we find Peter, not a fisherman, but actually a fisher of men. Not what maybe he had been skilled to do his entire life, but now doing what God had called him to do. And 3,000, 3,000 people were added that day to the church. When I see an ordinary life, I see what an extraordinary God can do. And so if you today, if you would trust him, if you would decide that my life is not mine, if you would decide that actually it's yours and that I'm done living this life on my own efforts and on my own strength and on my own ability and on, on my, and my own intelligence, that God would do the extraordinary. Because you will never be able to diminish the, the miracle that God has done in your life. Never. And so maybe you're here today 
And maybe you know that miracle because you've lived it. Maybe you've seen him bring you from darkness to life. Maybe you've seen him take your life from despair to peace. Maybe you've seen yourself go from empty to full and to complete. But still, there's that struggle. Maybe you're kind of like Peter, where you deny Jesus. And, and so you find yourself here again. And so you have this opportunity to surrender to God and to say, God, here is my life. I'm done with the ordinary. I'm done with the not so ordinary. I want the rare. I want the unique. You know, growing up in church, my youth pastor used to always tell us, he said, you are world changers. And I used to always laugh because I would think, does this guy know what he's saying? World changers? Let's think about that for a second. World changers. And I used to kind of laugh. But then I realized the reason why I was laughing. I wasn't laughing because God is incapable. I was laughing because I thought God to be incapable. You see, God is capable to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we can think, ask, or imagine. But then what do we think about God? Do we think that he can do that? Or do we put the limit and say, God, no, actually, you really couldn't do that. You see, God, my youth pastor was saying, you could be a world changer. And he wasn't talking necessarily about the world as a whole. He was talking about in your community, in your church, with the people that are surrounding you, with your family. See, God is calling us to be world changers. He's calling us to live an extraordinary life. But unless we give it to him, he can't. And so again, maybe you're here. And maybe you've never heard of this love. Maybe you've never heard of this God can take something ordinary and bland and normal and make it extraordinary. Well, there's a God in heaven. There's a God who is here, who his presence is here. And he says that he loves you. Regardless of your faults, regardless of the things that you might be going through, he loves you and he cares for you. And I'm going to ask the church, if you can, if you would bow your heads. And we're about to go, but I want to take a couple of minutes. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe you just need to reflect in this moment about how God can use your life. Your life. It says that he knows how many hairs are on your head and he calls you by name. But the one thing that we need to do is we need to surrender. We need to keep letting down that net. And so if you're here in this place and you just feel like, God, I need that. I need to restore my relationship with you. I need to know that you are with me. I need to know that you can take my life as ordinary as it may seem and make it extraordinary. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up and I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you feel like you want to take your ordinary life and make it extraordinary, would you put up your hand? I see you. Okay. I'm going to pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you take our lives as broken as they may seem, as reckless as they may seem at time, God, and you make them whole and you make them complete and you take what seems broken and you make it better. You mend it. 
God, and we ask you right now that you would take our lives, that you would take our ordinary lives, our, our normal, our typical, our standard, our everyday lives, and that you would make them extraordinary because in your hands, you have the capacity to do that, God. The obedience speaks of us, God, but the miracles, they speak of you and your extravagant love, God. And so today we give them to you. We give our lives over to you knowing that you have a plan and that you have a purpose. But maybe you're here. And you feel like you've never experienced this love. Maybe you've been rejected by people all the time, over and over and over again. And God is saying, I'm here to accept you. I'm here to take your shame. I'm here to take your guilt. I'm here to take your sin. I'm here to take your failures. But we have to give it to him. We have to repent and give it to him. And so maybe you're here and you say, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never known what it truly means to follow him and to give my life over to him. Well, today you'll have that opportunity. Today you have the opportunity to say, God, I trust you. God, I want a relationship with you. And so if that's you, if you feel that tug on your heart, if you feel like God is saying, now is the time. Stop wasting time on whatever else you thought was worthy of it. Waste, spend your time on me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? If you want to receive Jesus into your life and you want a relationship, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see you. God bless you. Amen. I see you. God bless you. And we're going to pray. And we're going to say this with our entire, we're going to believe this and say this with our entire heart. So if you could, would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. That you gave it all for me that you loved me and that you take my sin and my shame and you make me whole and complete and you forgive me and you love me. God, I pray that you would be with us today as these people love you and care for you, God, as they choose to walk with you in relationship with you every day, as they choose to persevere and not quit. And as they choose to know that you are God and that you can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. God, we love you and we trust you. And it is in your name that we pray. And everybody says, amen. Amen.